0: You're listening to Beyond Numbers, a podcast by Zero for accountants and bookkeepers. In this series, you'll hear from leaders within some of the accounting industry's pace-setting firms who will share news, views, and creative solutions so you can step away with some inspiration or new ideas to take back to your own business. I'm Ash Gibson, and this is Beyond Numbers Season 2. If you enjoyed this podcast, please do hit the follow button, and whether it's Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or somewhere else, we'd love it if you could leave us a rating and a review. In this episode, I caught up with Joe Wood, founder and director of Joe Wood Virtual FD and the Six Figure Bookkeeper community. Jo is such an inspiration, having grown not only a successful bookkeeping business herself, but also a thriving bookkeeping community alongside her business partner, Zoe Whitman. Jo is truly making her mark in the world of bookkeeping, and this episode gives you the opportunity to hear about where it all began, the challenges faced along the way, and advice for how to follow in the footsteps of a true leader in this space. Jo, welcome to Beyond Numbers.
1: Thanks for having me, Ash. I'm so excited to be here.
0: Joe, you started your bookkeeping practice in early 2019 and kicked off the six-figure bookkeeper community early 2020 with your business partner Zoe Whitman. Since then, I think it's fair to say that you and Zoe have taken the accounting and bookkeeping industry by storm. Your community has nearly 11,000 members now on Facebook. You're co-hosts of The Bookkeeper's podcast and you've just launched a book, The Bookkeeper Rises. I've seen your name pop up as a speaker at nearly every industry conference in the past year or two. So how's fame treating you?
1: (laughs) Oh my goodness. It has been an absolute whirlwind and something that I haven't ever thought about. Like it's not been the aim. When I set up my bookkeeping practice, it was my fifth bookkeeping practice and I've experienced a lot of failure in my life. And really when I realized that I actually understood and knew what I needed to do to build a successful, profitable business that would work around me, my husband, my three children. I just really got a beer in my bonnet about helping other people to do the same and cut through all of the stuff that I did wrong. And I just wanted to share this knowledge. I just got excited. And I was like, I don't want other people to have to do what I've done and have a 20-year journey to success. And so that's where the Six Figure bookkeeps Club come about. Also, I was lonely in business on my own. I just wanted a group of friends that knew what I was going through and understood the issues of having a practice and how it's different to other types of businesses. And I just wanted to have a, you know, somewhere to hang out. So I created something kind of selfishly to, you know, be able to hang out with other people. But also I just had this burning desire to help others. It was never my intention to become an author, to have a podcast, to speak on stage. That's just all things, opportunities that have come about, which I'm like, okay, is this going to help us spread the message even further? Yes. Okay. Does it scare me? Absolutely. Should I give it a go? Yes. Okay. Because I'm asking other people to step out of their comfort zone all the time. Bookkeepers have to do this all the time. Accountants have to do this all the time to get visible. So I suppose I better lead the way. So it's all been by accident, I suppose, but actually, I'm enjoying it. So, Joe, you came into the
0: office a few months back to meet with some of the team, and we were blown away by your startup story. Do you want to share a bit about that with our listeners? What led you to setting up Joe Wood Virtual FD in 2019?
1: Oh my goodness. Okay. So I left school without A-levels and I went to a grammar school and I wasn't didn't want to go to university because I'd already fallen in love. And um, I'd fallen in love who, with my now husband and we've been together since I was 17. So many, many years. And luckily that worked out, that plan worked out. But um, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I'm a real family person and I didn't really want to leave my family, didn't want to leave Paul So I decided that I'd go and work in the local shopping center. I did this for a while and realized I was the best person at upselling the credit card in the store card because I could work out what people's savings would be by saving the 10% if they were to get the credit card. And um, I was like, oh, I'm quite good at this. And, And then they started getting me to open up and close up and doing the cashing up and all of this. And I'm thinking I'm 18 and I'm still on five pounds an hour and doing everything that everyone else is doing, but I've got a lot more responsibility and, you know, I'm the eldest of five children. So I've always been like an old soul. I've always wanted to be a grown-up, even when I was seven, I wanted to be a grown-up. And so I decided to go and see a careers counsellor and say, you know, what should I do? And he said, oh, well, you did your maths GCSE a year early. Have you ever thought about being an accountant? And I was like, no. And then I went for an interview and there was a girl there that went to the grammar school with me and she had this big, you know, like the audit briefcase. And she had this big briefcase and she said, oh, oh nice to see you. G. I'm just popping out to see a client. And I was like, oh, that sounds so grown up and so important. I want to see clients. So that's what got me into the accountancy space. Just thinking that I might have a really big briefcase and go and see clients um, and look important. So I started the journey in an accountancy practice as an accountant trainee, and I used to work Monday to Friday for like, I think it was like seven or 8,000 pounds a year, maybe. And then Saturday and Sunday, I'd go up to London and do my qualifications. I wasn't really that happy at the place. I had very, very low self-esteem. I was miserable really and I didn't really know what the purpose of me being there was. Didn't really understand what accountants did or the whole point of it. I, I never really kind of got the, the culture wasn't great. Um so I decided I'd go to London, you know, because obviously it's you know the big city, that'd be good fun, and I went there, but I ended up doing auditing in art galleries and I would just remember it was so quiet. Everywhere I went, it was so quiet you could hear a pin drop and in the offices it was so quiet there was no buzz and I thought I thought London was meant to be about the buzz didn't get that so then I came back to a local firm I got married had a baby and decided I didn't want to go back didn't want to go back after maternity I just wasn't wasn't feeling it I hadn't didn't feel like I'd found my thing so I decided I'd set up a bookkeeping business so I was 22 three week old baby and I put myself on a sage course and I used to go on every Saturday. And when I went to this sage course, obviously I've been using sage in the county practice, but I'd never had the qualification. And again, that self doubt came in, and I thought, "Oh, I need the qualification, or else after having the baby, all of my brain cells are going to fall out the back of my head, and I'm not going to, you know, be able to prove to anybody that I do know what I'm doing." Anyway, the lady teaching me said. I think you actually know more than I do about Sage. And actually, I know of an accountant who's looking to outsource some work to somebody. Would that be something that you'd be interested in? So that's when my first self-employed business started. And I know lots of people are like, "Really? You started self-employed at 22 and it wasn't that scary? You just had a baby?" But my whole family have always been self-employed. They're kind of a bit self-made entrepreneurs. And um, I just really wanted that flexibility. I wanted to be able to choose when I worked and when I. Was able to cuddle my baby so I started this business at home thinking with this massive ego you know I've been an audit senior I can be a bookkeeper that's easy that's absolutely easy that I'll be able to do that standing on my head well the thing is one of the first jobs I got was CIS it was a subcontractor job I'd never done CIS I'd been doing auditing and year-end accounts and I didn't realize you know the deductions I had to calculate and things like that and I did it wrong So that accountant the house to me, sacked me pretty quickly. And then I realized, okay, I need to learn this a bit more. So I actually got myself a part-time job in a small firm and I kind of become their admin assistant, but also was running Sage for them as well and doing all of the bookkeeping. And I kind of took myself back and was a bit more humble and a bit more like, I'm here to learn. There's a lot I need to do. And it was part-time role. And um, I used to do it in between nursery runs when he was a little bit older. But I remember one day I was 10 minutes late because my son Daniel was two and he'd had this massive meltdown and he didn't want me to go. And the boss gave me this look of disgust and he was so cross at me that I was that little bit late. And again, that seed of, I want to be my own boss came back again. I don't want to be having to explain myself. I'm literally, it was the first time I'd been late and I'd apologized and I'd phoned on the way in. There was nothing more I could do. And that made me get a bit of a you know be in my bonnet so the accountant that we was using then i started talking to him and said i'd like to start up on my own and he's like what you're doing is brilliant i'd love to outsource to you so baby number two came around and i had more maternity leave and decided i wasn't going back again i was going to start up a business again and i did and at that point i was being charged out at about 35 pounds an hour by the accountant and I was earning 12 pound 50, 13 pound 50 an hour. And I was quite happy with that at that point because I had that flexibility. I was learning from him. I felt like he was mentoring me at the same time. And there was that, that protection of, I wasn't the end person between me and the client, still battling with imposter syndrome, etc. Uh, even though I was the one doing all the work. And over the years, another baby came about, <laughs> a bit of a surprise. And at the same time, my husband lost his job, the civil service job that we had been relying on to be the steady, you know, income while I was trying out my side hustle while being a mum. And we decided that he needed to retrain, do something completely different. It was going to take time. So I was going to go out there and actually properly give this a proper go. And I did, and I got kind of headhunted really by a local accountancy firm. They kind of come to me and said, we keep hearing your name. How do you feel about t- like building our bookkeeping and payroll department for us? So this was uh, 2011, 2012. And so I had three very young children and they gave us loads of work at the accountancy firm, but it was loads of clients, loads of different industries, loads of different software. And I wasn't really in control of who we were serving. I ended up with 14 employees very, very quickly. And actually my husband, trained in payroll and um, that was perfect for him because obviously he was trying to find something new to learn and I was like I need your help you're gonna have to come in and he did but I built it badly I didn't know what I was doing it was fast but not good it wasn't profitable and I was learning all about systems and processes but I didn't understand how to be a business owner and I got sick I got really sick I had three operations in the space of six months appendicitis I slipped a disc in my back. I then couldn't walk. I had to have spinal surgery. I got so ill through stress and burnout and decided at that point that actually I hated accountancy. I had discovered the great thing about that period is I discovered zero in that time. And I introduced zero to the accountancy firm. I was like, you've got to look at this. This is amazing. We've got to start moving people onto this software. And I could see that there was a light at the end of the tunnel, but I'd just fallen out of love with it because... It was hurting me, but I wasn't taking responsibility. I hadn't realized it was my fault that I'd created this monster. I very much was in the blame game. The clients weren't right or my staff weren't right or the software was was wrong. It was always something I was blaming on. So I took a year out of that business. I actually went into network marketing, if you can believe it. I went into network marketing, did something completely different. And actually, what the great thing about network marketing is you do a lot of personal development. And I needed that. I needed to start looking inwards and see what I needed to do. How my mindset needed to change. How I needed to look at goal setting, and I don't know, just like being more positive and stop being such a negative Nelly because I really was at that time, and also really take my health and well being seriously. You know, really look after me because if I wasn't being looked after, then everyone suffered. So then, I started practice number four, but. <laughs> The accountancy firm I'd worked with, a local firm years and years ago, reached out to me and said, we've heard you started this practice. We've got a client that could really do with your help. They just need two days of bank reconciliation. That's it. I was like, great. Okay, I'll go in. I went in. But my whole mindset had changed. And I'd been a business owner and seen what the things I'd done wrong. And I'd read loads of these books. And I looked at this not just as a bank wreck opportunity. I looked at this like, how can I help this business? And I put forward a proposal of what I could do for the business. So when I turned up to the business, they were just breaking even, just about. And I ended up being their finance manager for two years. And through introducing new sales processes, making sure people were paying up front for the services rather than 30 days after they built a massive marquee, you know, all these things, they ended up over the two years making a million pound net profit. And my confidence was there. I was like, I can do this. And I need to not do this just for one company anymore. I need to go and build a practice. And they made me redundant in April 2019. So that's when my practice started. It's kind of a double-edged sword, really. I had built the personal development and the business development, and I'd learned how to be a business owner. But also I'd put it into practice with that other business and actually built my confidence because I'd seen the results that I'd got. So those two together, I was like... Right, now I'm ready. And this time I'm going to build a practice that's not anything like those four that I've had before. And as I do it, I'm going to document everything I do because I need to build a six-figure practice from my kitchen table within a year. And then if I do it and when I do it, then I want to share it with other people. And that's how the two businesses started.
0: Such an incredible story, Joan. Like being able to pick yourself up and dust yourself off like that, like you've done it throughout your career, it takes a real growth mindset and resilience. I can imagine like you were really pretty strong-willed as a as a kid as well, is that right?
1: Uh, yeah, I, I, like I say, I used to just play at being a grown-up, you know, like my favorite toy was that post office where I, I was acting like a business owner at that point and um, I was strong-willed. Also, I think we always talk about the fact, you know, when there's five children in the family, you've all got to find your role. And I definitely found that mine was achievement in one way or another. I had to kind of, you know, had to get good grades or I had to get a part in the play or I don't know. I, just, I had to get on the like honors list at school or something. I was really well behaved. I had to show my mum certificates and stuff and say, look what I've achieved because I had like the brother that was really naughty and my younger sister was really cute and sweet uh, you know everyone had the, the things that they were good at and that was that was my thing so focused and determined definitely was part of those things
0: yeah amazing um you've had first hand experience of the realities that probably many of your clients face as small business owners so what kind of support have you had yourself from coaches or advisors in your time
1: So that is one of the biggest turning points, I think, is realizing that on your own, it's just maybe not enough. You need to have somebody holding you accountable. You need to have someone asking those difficult questions. And I mean, I'm very lucky because I've had parents that have always done that. But then you need to have people around you that know more than you about different subjects. And realizing that you don't have to be the expert in everything, but maybe you just need to be able to signpost people to other expertise. So my first coach was a lady called Shirley Mansfield. And it's really funny, actually, because she was the lady that introduced me to Xero. And she helped me to start stepping away from that large accountancy firm that I was working with and start having personal goals. And she made the connection for me that actually... Your business can support personal goals, and I know that sounds really strange. Of course it can, but I'd never, I'd never seen it like that. The goal I had was to have all my family around a table at Christmas, actually, and we had this um, 2014 Christmas dinner goal, and I knew exactly who I wanted, but I didn't even have the table big enough at the time, and I didn't have the house that would fit all my family in. And with that image, she helped me work out, well, what does the business need to look like for you to achieve that goal? Now, I didn't achieve it in 2014, but I have achieved it since. And actually, in the last month, I've just taken Shirley back on again as a coach. I've had lots of different coaches. Somebody that was very influential for me as well was an online coach. She helped female entrepreneurs build online businesses. And it was quite scary because I invested about 10,000 pounds in her when I didn't have the 10,000 pounds, but she helped me show how to build an online brand, how to get visible really before people were doing this. And then she showed me how you build a course and create that kind of education platform that you can create kind of a semi passive income, but alongside running a traditional business as well. Like when I went to her and said, I'm a bookkeeper how am I going to build an online business? At first, she was like, I've got no idea. Um, But we worked it out together. And do you know what it was with her? She put me into a container with other people, other female entrepreneurs that had these big, massive ideas about what they were going to do. And I think sometimes you just need to be in a room where you feel like overwhelmed with everyone else's ambition and goals and think, wow, just being in other people's energy that have those kind of goals helps you to raise your level. So I think it's always really important to make sure you're having the ability to be in rooms with people that their ambitions scare you.
0: Yeah. Amazing. You've obviously invested a lot then in business support services like your coaching and mentorship and things. Why is it so important to to invest in that, do you think? <laughs> do
1: you know what? I think you need to have skin in the game. I think we are all really busy and there is an abundance an abundance of free materials these days where you can go and learn and don't get me wrong and I do I do I go sometimes I'll just put onto YouTube you know something inspirational and go and absorb that free content and that's fine but when you need to really up level you need somebody actually asking you the questions what are your individual goals and then breaking them down and holding you accountable to doing that And I just find that when we're really busy, the free stuff that we can learn and can do, we don't always make time for. But when you've invested heavily into something, you make sure you show up to the events. You make sure you show up to the workshops. You make sure you do that learning in the background. I'm not saying spending money for spending money's sake, not at all. But also when you do spend that money, then that means you're in a room with the people that have also made that same investment. you're just up leveling your surroundings.
0: Yeah. We've worked with like a lot of business owners at zero, And one thing we hear a lot about is how lonely it can be starting and running a business. Um, and it's obviously hard work too. So what's your advice for people looking for business support? How can they go about finding, you know,
1: the right people to actually help them on their startup journey? It's about actually figuring out who do you want to be hanging around with? Who's inspirational to you? Who do you like? learning from and whose content do you like and then think about where are they hanging out where are they getting their knowledge from and they might mention like tony robbins or something okay so and there's free communities that tony robbins has built and i find i go on these journeys where i might watch somebody might read their book i might listen to their podcast i might look at a bit in their youtube and then you kind of go down the rabbit hole and and i see that with people with our stuff as well you know they join the free community and then they say, oh, I've watched all your podcasts or listen to all your podcasts and I've watched your YouTube, um, but I want more. So it, who are the people that you want more from? And then be in their space because they're going to be in a community with other people that are like-minded. So just be curious. I mean, for me, it did start off with books, you know, like Tony Robbins. I would read a book and then I went to his event in London and just was like, oh my God, what's going on? This is amazing. I just want more of this. So it's about making sure you, you're you around people that have got the same kind of energy and passion that you have.
0: Yeah, brilliant. So you've got a few family members in the mix at Joe Wood Virtual FD. Um, your husband, sister, son, who else is there? Tell us about them and their roles.
1: Yeah, so my husband is payroll and um, auto-enrollment. He is still doing that, so he does that for all our clients. My sister is the bookkeeping director at Joe Wood Virtual FD. She's in charge of The year ends and the VAT and staff training. My sister's husband, Jack, is also in the business and his role is to support me with content. So he's helping us at the moment with a website. He helps me with my YouTube videos. Um, He edits some of our management accounts videos. But you know what? He's great with him. He's he is not a bookkeeper or an accountant. He's very creative and he just has a completely different view on everything and looks at things. Maybe I think sometimes from my client's point of view, which is very valuable, he also helps look after my sister's uh, children, so that we can get more of her time. My son was in the business, um, but he's now left. He's gone to a traditional firm, uh, and he's there at the moment. And we wanted that because we do work from home, and he's nineteen, and he needs to go and work with other people and have experience. But he was he was our uh, Dext champion, and he used to do all our zero bank wrecks and everything like that. But um, yes, yeah, so he's he's moved on now and then we have other people that aren't blood relations <laughs> in the business as well but it really is I mean and that's something that you really need to figure out you know what are your main values and my main value is family and if I can't have a business that supports my family and my sister's family then it's not a business that I, I want and for my staff we're very much about you know results driven absolutely but results driven and if you need to go and have time off because your son needs a doctor's appointment or if you need to go and have you know something or you need you know you're really stressed out about christmas and you need half a day then that's absolutely fine i just want to make sure that we're not striving for success at the sake of other people's health or well-being very much want everybody to be happy and something we do is like speak to our team and say you know if we could take one job off of you that really just grates you which one would it be and then we kind of swap these roles with other people and just sometimes that just taking that one thing or that one client or whatever it is away and giving it to someone else just you know we just want people to be happy and making sure that they're putting their families first too
0: nice that's lovely and I think it obviously helps when you have people that work for you that you really care about and obviously family you care about and then you bring on people who who are the same right so that's awesome you've clearly built some strong relationships throughout your career um family included But the bond that you and Zoe Whitman have formed working on your bookkeeping community is clearly really special. What's the story there? How did you two meet?
1: Wow. So um, we didn't know each other. Um, In about, I think, July 19, I was asked by the Institute of Certified Bookkeepers to go and kind of consult on their management accounts level for qualification. So I went to their head office, and I was sitting around a table, and um, there was a few members of the like leadership team there discussing this management accounts paper. And then they turned on the TV, and like they zoomed in Zoe Whitman on the screen, and they said, "Oh, Zoe's another practice um, holder, and um, we'd we'd like her input too, and she's qualified accountant by trade." and I was like, oh, okay. So she was on the big screen and um, everyone went to lunch. And then me and Zoe had a bit of a chat. She just had Will, her youngest, and he was just a tiny baby. And that's why she couldn't get to the London offices. Um, and I just was like, oh, wow, she's running her business. And she's got a small, you know, small baby and a, another child. And, you know, we just got on really well because we were a similar, in a similar boat. And then actually the next time we met was at ZeroCon. I recognized her because she was pushing her baby around in a pram at Zero con. I was like, you are so cool. You were literally, you have the values I have. Family, you know, Zero con, <laughs> Brilliant. Love it. And then again, November '19, I was asked to speak at uh, the bookkeeper summit for the ICB. And so was Zoe. And I stood on stage and spoke about how I was building a six-figure bookkeeping business from my kitchen table. And Zoe stood up and spoke about how 90 day goal setting was really important. And I was like, oh, my goodness, me and her are just so alike. You know, there's no one else. I didn't feel there was anyone else championing that we were business owners as well as bookkeepers. But sometimes when they say practice owner, it's like you don't own a business. And I was like, oh, my goodness, she's read books, too. She's got excited. She's got goals. This is, you know. So when she came off the stage, I kind of said to her, do you know what? I've got this idea. I've been writing this course alongside building my practice, and I really want to share it with some other people. What do you think? And she kind of looked at me like I had three heads. And she's like, okay, maybe we should have a chat. So we started having chats at the weekends, Saturday mornings. We'd phone each other and just talk through ideas. And then in January, I said, I think we need to meet. If we're going to build a business together, let's meet. So I'm in Kent. She was in Bristol at the time. I said, "Halfway is Reading. Let's meet in Reading for a weekend." So we we got a two bed apartment Airbnb, and we met there. Strangers, like literally, we didn't. We'd had a few conversations, but we were like, "If we're going to start a business together, we have got to see if we can get on." And that weekend was mad. We had wrapping paper all over the floor, post it notes everywhere. We did not stop. We were. In that weekend, we incorporated the company. We wrote most of the course. We built a website. We did our branding. Funny thing was, um, she said, "What are we going to call it?" And I was like, "I don't know." And I said, "Well, I started this group back in um, July time, and it's called the Six Figure Bookkeepers Club." And she said, "Oh, well, that sounds good. Let's do that." So, um, and I think at the time I had sixty members. So I had this seed of an idea, but I didn't have the confidence. And also I was running a practice and still had these three children. And I was like, am I mad to do this? I feel like I needed a partner. And I'm so glad I did because me and Zoe are so different in so many ways. Our values are the same, but we have different skill sets that we bring to the table. And Zoe, we we call her our content director. You know, she's out there always thinking of, you know, next things to create and, do that and and I'm the community director I'm about nurturing and hand-holding and all that that the soft skill stuff that's kind of my bag and it just works really really well together so yeah we built that in January we wanted to build it with the ICB to begin with because we're both ICB practice members but we couldn't get to meet them because of COVID so we just started to build it for ourselves so we met in February to have a photo shoot and then we never saw each other again in person until September 21, when I think our group had got to about maybe two and a half thousand. But now, like you say, we're nearly 11,000. It's, um, it's growing. We started the podcast while we were both, one in Kent, one in Bristol. Zoe had her practice. She did shut it down in COVID because she had very small children at home. And a couple of her clients went under and the numbers just didn't make sense for her. And um, she then started, um, she worked for a county practice for a while until we got to the point where we're like, no, we're ready, Zoe. We can afford to have you and have you full time. And And that's what we did. So, yeah, the rest is history.
0: Yeah, amazing. And as you say, as well as the Facebook group, you've got the podcast for your community and you're like constantly tuning out new episodes. You're also both super active on social media making yourself known at industry events, you're on the speaker circuit and you've launched the book. So let's talk a bit about personal brand. You've clearly invested a lot of time and effort in growing your personal brand, Um, both you and Zoe have, I think. But why is it so important to do this as a
1: bookkeeper, do you think? So back in 2013, I was going on holiday and typical me thought, I don't really read fiction. I'll take a business book with me. And I said to my mum, what do you think I should read? She was like, oh, I've just seen Daniel Priestley talking at an event. He was really good. You need to read Key Person of Influence. And I read that book while I was on that holiday. And I was like, oh, wow, that's what I need to do. Experts are seen in the industry and can charge more because they're the expert in their field. They get to pick and choose who they work with because attraction marketing is that they attract like-minded people. When you put out there on social media, your views, your values, how you work, who you like to work with, you literally repel all the bad ones. So that's good. I like that. You get to do exciting things. You have more opportunities when you're a key person of influence. And I was sitting there thinking, I don't know anyone else who's influential in the bookkeeping space. Who Who else is a bookkeeping influencer. And then I did doubt myself and think, well, is that because it's impossible to be an influencer in the bookkeeping space? And what am I influencing? What do I want to influence? And then the, the fear said, I don't want to be like the expert in the technical stuff. I do not, That that is not my thing. I am not a technical genius whatsoever and so I just have two steps forward and think yes I want to do this and then I'd be like oh no I don't people are just going to ask me tax questions and I'm not going to have the answers but I'd read that book and it must have all gone in because I revisited it and afterwards I was like oh yeah I've done that oh I've done that and I've done that I've had to build my confidence up Get myself out there a bit more, and it did really start with things like uh, breakfast meetings. You know that sixty seconds, standing up in a room of maybe ten people, and saying who I was, who I helped, how I could help them, what kind of clients I was looking for. I used to want to be sick at, at the thought of standing up in front of those people. So it has been a journey. It's not. It's not been quick. It's not been easy. And because I was doing it on my own without other people in my industry doing similar things now when I go on social media I see all my community you know their reels their tiktoks their amazing posts about what's coming up or you know what's happened in the budget and things like that and I'm like yeah now I feel it's a safe space to create more in 2018 I had a branding shoot no one saw those photos for two years I was too scared to put them out there So it has been a long process and that's why I think I really get it when people in my community are like, I feel sick of putting a photo up about myself or I don't want to go live. Why would I want to go live? I get it. I really do get it. But now it's one of those things, isn't it? It becomes your new normal. The more you do it, the easier it is to do. And actually when you realize don't get me wrong, I've heard a few like, people get a bit annoyed about me or, oh, there she is again, whatever. I, that's fine. I, I completely get it. But it's nothing really negative. And I think that's really the fear. It's our subconscious brain, our monkey mind going, why are you putting yourself out there to, like, ridicule and, you know, to hate? When you do it and then you don't get any hate back and actually only get support. And I think that's something that's really worked in our Six Figure Bookkeepers Club is that everyone will say, it is such a safe space. that is you know my number one rule is that if you haven't got anything nice to say, don't say it at all. It's just not the place you come to have a moan or be negative. It's only good vibes and only support. And I think when you start creating that and that's the space you create, then you just kind of breed more of it. And I think LinkedIn has been a really good place as well. I find it really positive. Actually, on social media, we're quite lucky. You can you can just remove people if you don't like what you're seeing or if people are putting out really controversial posts. And I find sometimes people trigger me and I'm like, no, nope, I just don't need to follow them. It's just not for me. So I think when you realize you do actually have more control over that, over time, you build confidence. And when you only get support and love and happiness back, then actually, okay, I'll do another post. That's okay.
0: Brilliant. It's all about being human, really, isn't it? And just showing your authentic self and people buy that people want to, you know, engage with you when they know um, who you are and what you're all about. So, yeah, it makes total sense. As for the haters, who cares about them, right? <laughs> absolutely. There's a place for everyone.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, and the thing is, what I have realised is, you know, the more I'm repelling people by being more me, the more authentic you are, the more I share the fact that, you know, do you remember, remember back in the day, you, you know, you'd have to hide the fact that you like, you love your animals or hide the fact that you've actually got children, you love them. Like you wouldn't have put that out there on a business platform. Whereas now I think the more we all share like the human side of why we are running our businesses and the reason we get up every day helps our clients to do the same. And then their businesses absolutely prosper from being the same. And I've realized that is part of my role as well. That if I'm speaking to clients about how do they make a more profitable business, How can I offer that advice if I'm not running a profitable business myself? Something that's clicked with me and with the community is that my job is to help bookkeepers and accountants run profitable businesses so that they can help clients run the same and then literally we can turn this economy around.
0: Yeah, amazing. I love that. And your um, point before about, you know, being who you are, and it reminded me of the, um, you've got a quote in your book, for the ideal client, which I loved. Yes, you get a smaller slice of the pie, but you get the whole slice. I loved that.
1: <laughs> Always about the food for me. <laughs> yeah,
0: love that. I was like, mm, pie. Okay. So speaking of your book, it is already a bestseller. So congratulations. Thank you. Why don't you give everyone a bit of a rundown of what it's all about? Who's it for?
1: As I say, we want to help bookkeepers and accountants build practices that work for them. And in our Six Figure Bookkeepers Club, it's a free community, and we are all about giving value. So once every couple of months, we do something called the Bookkeepers Bootcamp. And Bookkeepers Bootcamp is really, we want you to go onto all of these free sessions and over the week, build confidence, but have some strategy behind it and see other people that achieve it, uh, achieving what you set out to achieve and hear stories about how other people have done it. And it's definitely those stories from other bookkeepers that build your confidence because, you know, when we are in business, we have these mind monkeys that say to us, well, that's all right for them because, you know, Joe's been doing it for 20 years. And uh, Joe had that opportunity when, you know, people can hear, people listen to my story and think, well, she's too far down the line, I can't relate. So that's why in Bookkeepers Bootcamp, we bring other bookkeepers that are maybe just starting out and hearing their stories and where they're at so that people can relate more closely to them. And uh, me and Zoe have these sessions in bootcamp where we teach. We love an anagram. So we had, this, we had this idea of uh, teaching reset, ideal client, systems and services, engagement. And that was the RISE framework. And so we would teach that over four evenings in bookkeepers bootcamp and we were teaching it every, like I say, every few months. And we realized by looking at this, that we had the, you know, the framework for a book. And so that's why the book, the bookkeeper rises came about. It was originally going to be two books. We was going to have the bookkeeper rises with the framework and the, you know, the strategy. And then we was going to have a whole book for bookkeeper stories, but actually When we put it together, we made it more concise, the actual structure. And then we had these 35 stories. And actually, we just thought it's a really good one book. Actually, they should be together because you want to learn the strategy, but also read the stories and build up your confidence as you go along. And what I love is that we just went, went out to the audience and said, who would like to write a chapter? And kind of gave them a very, you know, these are the questions we want answered. Gave them a very brief breakdown of how it would be. Um, And then they've all become best-selling authors in the process as well. So it feels like a real triumph. Also, it's a a lower entry point for people, like I say, that are on that journey of consuming our content. You know, there's the free community. There's YouTube. There's podcasts. That's all free. But then people want to have that next step of like, how can I just purchase from you? Have a little bit of skin in the game, but not too much. And, you know, our book's £12.99. It's a little bit of an investment. But are they going to really benefit and feel like when they come away actually these are people i want to know more from i want to consume a little bit more so it was that it was the decision that and again key person of influence you have to have a book to have that authority to say you know i am somebody that has got some experience and maybe i can help you on your next steps of the journey but also look at all these other people that are in my world that might be able to help you raise your belief in yourself and see what's possible for you too
0: nice and it shows how serious you are about the community investing even in publishing a book i think um and it's a really great book as well it's like really uh easy to read and it all makes sense and it flows really nicely and just some really great tips and case studies in there so yeah certainly recommend it as a as a read for bookkeepers and accountants and anyone thinking about starting a business i think because Even beyond bookkeeping, I think it makes you think like, oh, you could sort of, you know, think about how you can take that
1: approach for other things, not just bookkeeping. So, yeah, it's really great. Well done. Do you know what? what's really interesting is that we have actually, we recorded the Audible version, the audio version for Audible, should I say. And the guy who we recorded in the studio for, who was a sole trader, and when he told us what his fee was, we were like, that's really cheap you need to up your prices. And actually, why are we in the studio and we haven't paid the full bill yet? And and then afterwards, it was funny, he's come back to us and was like, I learned so much from listening to the book. This is what I've changed. And he's, he's doing so well. And he's completely changed the structure of his business by listening to some of the top tips we had in there. So it's really interesting. And actually, I've had some salon owners, because in my business, I work really closely with salon owners, about 60, 70% of my client base are salon owners. And they've been buying it as well, because they're like, I just want to learn more. And actually, it's quite relevant. Yes, there's some mention of HMRC and some mention of that the processes that we do with like money laundering, etc. But most of it is just business advice.
0: Yeah, I think you should just do a version for any business. Yeah. Read this. Here's how to start. It's great. <laughs> Hey, so thinking about bookkeeping, what is it about bookkeeping and the bookkeeping community that really inspires you? Because you've you've clearly gone all in.
1: Do you know what? It's going back to that day when I realised that accountancy and bookkeeping were very different, but I had this ego that because I was a part qualified accountant, that bookkeeping was going to be easy. And I dumbed it down. And I know that the industry dumbs it down. But actually, You know, I see bookkeeping as our superpower. You know, we offer compliance. And I think bookkeepers highly regard, you know, accountants, but I don't always think it's reciprocated. And I really want to, you know, be out there. So does Zoe, you know, and that that is our mission, to raise the profile of bookkeepers so that they can stand side by side. And bookkeepers and accountants can realize that the skill sets that we have are very different. But really support and work. If we work together, we can create massive results for business and the economy by working more closely together and realizing where the gaps are in each other's knowledge. You know, I have been told so many times, why don't you just qualify as an accountant and then you can offer compliance yourself? Because there's so much work to be done at the bookkeeping level. I love the fact that I can offer compliance. I can actually read a set of accounts. I know I can help my clients decipher what their ct600 means and what all of their tax returns are I can understand and read it I don't need to be able to create it I don't want to learn all of those bits because I want to help people build businesses and I find for me as a business owner that that's the most important bit up-to-date timely bookkeeping that I know I can look at my P&L at any time and know if the bookkeeping's up to date, that the information to run my business on is so much more meaningful than if I've got last year's sets of accounts that I can look at that's accurate. I need to know week by week, day by day, what's going on in my business. And that's the superpower that bookkeeping brings to business owners. And I think it's been undervalued for too long. And I think with the introduction of software, people again thought, well, software can do it. But all of that is just just—it's not right. It's not right. There are so many elements to bookkeeping to make those numbers meaningful. You know, the journals, the accruals, the prepayments, making sure that income and advance is being correctly dealt with, making sure that actually when you look at profit and loss, it actually is the correct income and expenses and not just that a bank reconciliation is being done. And then how do we take those numbers and forecast with them? How do we push them out into the future and see what, you know, if we had a crystal ball, what is the business business going to look like if we stick to the targets and the forecast that we're putting out there for ourselves? That's where things get exciting. I really like using the numbers to, like, think about where is the potential in this business? What could it look like if the business started to turn over a million pounds? What would how many staff would we need? What kind of software would we need? What would our working week look like? That's where I want to go. And bookkeeping enables us to do that. Yes, compliance needs to be done. And it's so valuable. And no one I don't think bookkeeper would ever take away from that. But sometimes I feel the other way around. We're not valued as highly.
0: Yeah. And why do you think bookkeeping has been so undervalued?
1: Um, I think it's just been over time. I call it like little wifey in the corner. You know, builder would have a building business and he'd be out there and then the wife would be trying to do the numbers and prepare it for the account. Accountants have um, over, you know, there's many different types of accountants. And these days I know that I'm, you know, and I've talked to lots of accountants that very highly regard bookkeeping. And, you know, times are changing, but the accountancy firms I've worked with in the past have just you know had boxes and boxes of paperwork that they'd get a junior to kind of collate at the end of the year, and I don't know how these businesses were running without these this information, but it's a culture thing. It was never highly regarded. It was a case of if you went left in the county firm and had a baby, and you didn't want to come back and work in the firm, then you could maybe be our outsourced bookkeeper, but it was seen as less of less of a role. I think that's where. If, in all honesty, accountants that have trained to become accountants haven't learned how to run businesses. It's only since I've helped run businesses and had the profit and the business owner as my focus. How can I make this business more money so that the business owner can have the things that they want for their family? And also so that, you know, if they, if they can continue to pay me my salary, um, when you start learning about how to run a business and stop running a practice that's when you realize that the bookkeeping is so important. I get the impression
0: there are sort of different types of bookkeepers and different types of accountants, some that sort of value the day-to-day running of a business and understanding the finances and making sure that, you know, everything's up to date. Whether you're a bookkeeper or an accountant, it's kind of more about what they value and where they focus their time and energy. Um, and And hopefully, you know, we're seeing more of people valuing bookkeeping because it's the best way to stay up to date with, you know your cash flow, and, you know, knowing whether a business is successful and and hopefully business owners are going to be pushing their advisor, whether they're an accountant or a bookkeeper to sort of answer those questions for them.
1: Absolutely. And and as well, the bookkeepers in the industry have also helped to create this. You know, I was one of those happy to be paid £12.50 an hour because I felt that that was my worth and that was my value. I had to get out from behind the computer. I was happy doing that because I was there doing the reconciliation, not having any conversations with the client. And that was fine. And I was happy with that. And that is fine. But now when I realised the power, if I just printed that report and spoke to the client and said, do you know, these people owe you money. And I'm happy to pick up the phone and give them a chase if you want, that that's so valuable. But I wasn't having those conversations because I didn't want to have those conversations. And that's fine. There are different types of bookkeepers and there are different types of accountants and there is room for everybody. But if you want to have a business, a bookkeeping business, and if you want to start having conversations with your clients, then you've got to realize that there is value to that and that you can actually, by having the right conversations, create a lot of value and that you should be paid and rewarded for that insights the insights that you have and the reports and the information you could provide a business owner.
0: Yeah, totally. And don't get me wrong, like there are lots of different types of accounts and bookkeepers, but I'm not saying that they're all the right types. One of the things that we've noticed is that it's almost like small businesses don't know what to expect from an advisor. So some sometimes businesses don't realize that there's actually somebody out there who can help hold their hand through that sort of day-to-day running of their of their business and their finances and give them that kind of advice that they actually need. So they don't get to end of the year with a ginormous tax bill, you know. And so I think a lot of sort of the responsibility on on us and in the industry is to help, you know, communicate that with small businesses and help them realize, you know, what's out there and, and what their potential is.
1: And and that's been the problem, Ash, is that bookkeepers and accountants, by the way, we are kind of introverts most of the time. And I mean, I'm an introverted extrovert. Don't get me wrong. I love, you know, getting on the stage. I really enjoy it doing these kind of things. I really enjoy it. But I also love my alone time, my quiet, being under my weighted blanket with no one else around. (laughs) I love that. So I get it. I get it. And, but the majority of people are quite introverted and like the numbers and like to work on that quietly. But We have to start running businesses ourselves and stop thinking about ourselves as being a service provider. My business has to become my best client. I have to do my bookkeeping regularly. I have to have a monthly financial meeting with my team and look at our profit and loss, look at our cash flow, look at our forecast and actually do all the things to realize how beneficial it is, so that then I can explain to my clients why they need it. That's the problem. We're not explaining it to clients because we're not doing it ourselves. Every accountancy firm that I've ever worked in, um, other than that, the big one that I actually joined, they were very focused on business development, and I learned so much through them because the owner of that business was always reading books and putting out KPIs and realizing it was about that, and that's why they were very different. But what they didn't do was that they didn't have a niche. So they serviced everybody and had every software going. And that's where the learnings could have been made and made them even more profitable. Um, And when I talk about niches, I don't necessarily mean you have to be industry specific. I don't mean that. You can niche on personality. You can niche on software. You can niche on industry. But I have, like I say, I do have a big chunk of one industry, but I have loads of other industries because I really like the people and that they have my values. But when we realize that we are running businesses and how this information serves us, then we can start talking about it. We have to get visible and out of our own way and start talking on social media. We have to start talking at events, networking, how we can help people and the benefits of it. And that's something that over the last few decades, not many people have been doing. And that's why business owners don't understand the benefit. And that's why they think, that software is the answer to everything, but actually software with a great advisor is like the perfect combination.
0: Yeah, totally. And being able to tell that story is so important as well because I think historically the industry has perhaps not been as savvy when it comes to sort of marketing and communications and storytelling in general, but so much potential. From your perspective, what, what are the biggest opportunities for bookkeepers at the moment? Wow. So... I mean, obviously, the MTD issue, (laughs) I was going to say, yeah, (laughs) got a bit more time on that now. So
1: we've got a bit more time. But the email I've just written to my client base today is that we're already ready. Bookkeepers are already ready for this. We're already using the right software. We already have the systems and processes, the weekly bookkeeping. We're working towards daily bookkeeping. So we are ready for that. So what are the opportunities? The opportunities are to help your clients make more money by having a fantastic service offering, by having more conversations. I had a client today that I just spoke to and um, she's having a bit of a tough time. And she cut back on our services about nine months ago. And I said to her, you know that your business has got worse since you've stopped using us so frequently. And she was like, yeah, I know. And that's the power is that, you know, when people are doing really well, Sometimes they stop focusing on the numbers. So, you might have some clients that are really profitable and they're doing really well, but what are they doing with the money? What's the purpose of the money? Everything needs to have purpose and an energy as such. So, bring it back to the personal goals. Start having more conversations with your clients about why they're in business. What do they do at the end of the day? Do you know what I'm really focusing on? Exit strategy. When do you want to exit? And what about if we managed to help you build a business where you could exit, but you don't have to sell, as in you can work less, but your business is still there and profitable. You know, the reason um, we run businesses and the purpose of this business is to be a profitable enterprise that can run without you. Otherwise you've just built a job for yourself. So how can you help your clients to be more profitable, but have more time and not be so into their businesses? helping them with their systems and processes, helping them with like setting KPIs for their staff, helping them figure out, you know, what's, what's the money doing and how's it working for them? Can you signpost them to, you know, an IFA that can help them with, you know, pensions and retirement planning? That's what we should be doing. We should be looking forward, really forward and figuring out what's the purpose of their business, why they're running it, how's it supporting their family? What's their next big goal? And how can you hold them accountable to that and help them achieve that? The more we can help our clients achieve and tick goals off their list. Do you think they're going to be sticky? Do you think they're going to stay with us for a longer time? Do you think they're going to tell more people that are like-minded how amazing we are? I had, um, when we came to the House of Parliament with you guys, I had one of my clients shared the post I did and went, my accountant cares, does yours? (laughs) And I'm just like, let's be a beacon for business, for success profit you know there are always businesses that do really really well in times when there's economic downturn let's help our clients be those businesses
0: well it's been an awesome chat and for the people listening please go away and read the bookkeeper rises if you've loved listening to joe Uh, listen to the podcast the bookkeeper podcast the bookkeepers podcast yeah yep and and sign up to the six-figure bookkeeper club on uh, facebook because you'll You'll learn lots, um, but yeah, that's been really, really cool, Joe. Thank you. Um, however, before we end in season one of Beyond Numbers, I challenged guests to a word association game. But in season two, uh, we've mixed things up a little. So just before we before we head off, we're going to play a little game of Would You Rather. Okay. Okay. So I'm going to give you two scenarios. Three times for you to choose between. So tell me what you think. Okay, Joe, would you rather be able to teleport for one day or be able to fly
1: for one day? Teleport because I'm really scared of heights.
0: Okay, <laughs> I, I was curious about that because I thought I thought this. If you really like the motion of being able to like fly and soar above things and like look at stuff, then like if you're really visual, I feel like flying would be really cool. But yeah, yeah, teleporting makes sense. Yeah. Good choice. Okay. Would you rather speak to animals or speak 10 foreign languages?
1: Oh, 10 foreign languages. I would absolutely love to be able to speak fluent, fluent in another language. I get so jealous when I see people that can do that I just think it's fascinating also imagine being able to put them two together teleport and then go and speak the language in that in uh, in that country love that
0: okay one more for you would you rather have a name that everyone misspells or a name
1: that everyone forgets oh well I wouldn't want a name that everyone forgets. It's all about a personal brands. So it'd have to be a name that misspells. And actually, I my name often gets misspelled, which you'd think is such a short, easy name. But I often get spelt Joe with an E all the time. People spell Joe with an E. So And Woods. I always get Joe with an E and Woods. So um, I think I'd prefer that misspelled, but I don't want to be forgettable.
0: Yeah. yeah.
1: Good chat. Good chat. Okay. And if you could start
0: any other type of business, not bookkeeping, not even accounting, different to what you're doing now, what type of business would you start? Oh, oh my
1: goodness. I don't know. It'd have to be, it'd have to be with people. I love, I mean, this is really weird. I love ASMR. Do you know ASMR? Have you ever heard of that? What does it stand for? Maybe then I'll know. I don't know what it stands for, don't ask me that. ASMR is where you hear, uh, it's about really calming and when people talk um, and it's kind of hypnotic. And I love listening, it's really weird, an insight to my life. I love listening to true crime ASMR, so it's when people are whispering. And I'd love an ASMR true crime podcast. Whoa. (laughs) You wasn't expecting Um, that.
0: (laughs) No, I've just Googled it. Um, Autonomous sensory meridian response. Yeah. Is a tingling sensation that usually begins on the scalp and moves down the back of the neck and upper spine. It's like when you go to the hairdresser and you get a head
1: massage. Yeah, it's like that. So it's like with true crime in your ear. Yeah, it's very. My husband thinks I'm very strange, but it's what it is. I was um, I was looking for ways to relax, and someone suggested ASMR because you can listen to it. It depends, I think, if you're like you say, visual, auditory, how you listen. And actually, I was like, oh, I was listening to someone explaining a scenario in this kind of soft tones. And I was like, I found that really relaxing. But then I found that there was a true crime. There's loads of people. I love true crime. I love watching documentaries on it. But now I listen to someone whispering and telling a true crime story, and I find it fascinating, and it really calms me down. So I think but I'd love to do, like, research into I love the crime thing. So maybe, yeah, all of that kind of. Yeah, the research into historical crime, very strange.
0: Baby, there's one thing that I've noticed in these podcasts, talking to accounts and bookkeepers, you always leave me mildly surprised and interested in Googling something. So thanks for that, Jo. I'm glad we're continuing that into season two. Excellent. (laughs) brilliant stuff well thank you so much joe i've really loved chatting to you today and yeah can't wait for people to listen in and, and hear your story because it's an amazing one and we're all really impressed and can't wait,
1: to see, can't wait to see where you head to next oh thanks ash i've absolutely loved this thank you thank you for having me on the podcast
0: you've been listening to beyond numbers brought to you by zero produced by birdline media If you heard something that caught your attention, share the episode with your colleagues so they can listen too. Thanks for listening.